Today on Filmmaker Freedom, a conversation with Xander and Elliot Weaver. Of all the conversations I had in 2020, I honestly think this one's my favorite. These guys are so smart and so intelligent in the way they've strategically built their lives as indie filmmakers. And they're incredibly generous in sharing everything they know about this process, both from the craft perspective and in terms of how they approached the business of selling and marketing their first feature film, Cosmos. This is one of those conversations that has more gold nuggets of wisdom than I could possibly tell you about here. So I just urge you to listen to it all the way through because it really is that good. Also, just a heads up, we recorded this in the middle of summer. Um, and as you may or may not know, I live in Arizona and uh, the air conditioning kicks on quite a few times. I tried my best to get rid of it um, with some noise reduction plugins and whatnot, but it's uh, impossible to get rid of entirely. So I apologize in advance, but truly this conversation is worth your time and it might even be worth multiple listens. Hope you dig it. Hey friend, welcome to Filmmaker Freedom. This is a show for ambitious indie filmmakers who want to make work they're proud of, build audiences, cut out the middlemen, and earn a damn good living selling directly to their fans. My name is Rob Hardy, and I'm a filmmaker and a marketing consultant who's worked with a number of brands and startups to help them connect with online audiences and grow their businesses. Now, in the solo episodes of this show, I like to share direct lessons that I've learned from that experience and help you build an audience and sell your films. But truth be told, my perspective is far from the only one. That's why I like to balance those shows out with long-form interviews with other entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. The goal is to share conversations that are really substantive, inspiring, and genuinely honest and transparent, because there's just not enough transparency in the world of indie film, especially when it comes to the business side of things. And one last thing before we begin, I just want to thank my good friends over at Musicvine for sponsoring this show. Over the years, I've used just about every music licensing platform out there, and I can say without hesitation that Musicvine is at the very top of my list. The quality and uniqueness of the music are outstanding. The prices are reasonable, and the design and functionality of their website are second to none. It's just a pure pleasure to use. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. All right, now let's get into today's interview. I'm Xander, the younger brother. Uh, I'm Elliot, the older brother, and we do have a tendency to sound some somewhat similar. So we are <laughs> we are interchangeable. You know, if, if people confuse us for each other, that's okay. Some people are convinced we're actually one and the same, one entity uh, <laughs> divided into two. That's good. That's good. So I like to start some of these shows by essentially asking a series of stupid icebreaker questions just to help us get to know you really quickly. Are you uh, you game for that? Totally game for that. Let's okay. Question number one is the most important of the bunch, and it is, what did you guys have for breakfast? Oh, oh I had a 
peanut butter and I will say jam sandwich because I'm British and we call it jam. You would call it jelly. Yeah, you're wrong. PB and J okay. sandwich for, for <laughs> breakfast. I, I had a bagel with like, uh, I'm vegan. So I had like bagel with what's called tofurkey, which is like turkey tofu. Oh, yeah. With a bit of mayonnaise, a bit of lettuce. It was nice. They're both kind of lunch options, weirdly, aren't yeah. they? But, you know, we're crazy like Hit that. Hit the ground running. Yeah, love it. Love it. So question number two is, what's the last show or movie or, I don't know, piece of media more generally that really just knocked your socks off and impressed you? Oh, cool. Oh, wow. That's a good question. Uh, well, I remember one of the, the last thing we saw at the cinema was 1917, mm. which... I really very much enjoyed. Yeah, um, yeah, that was um, that was quite an experience actually, a- audio experience for sure. Because we went to uh, a-, a cinema that had the whole Dolby Atmos setup, yeah. and that was that. I think that's the first time I've really experienced that kind of sound scaping. It was incredible. So yeah, good choice. Nineteen seventeen. Yeah, man. I, Maybe I the wish... last time we'll all go to the movies. Who knows? <laughs> right. Know. It's so depressing, and I. <laughs> I think I, I heard that exact same answer from somebody else maybe a month ago, and it, <laughs> it just brought up this wave of regret that I never got to see that in theaters. Like, I, I was quote-unquote busy, because we're all, we're all busy, and I just... Oh, yeah. It. But now it's on, uh, I don't know, now it's on, like, TVOD, and it's like, should I just rent it at home? Will it be the same? Like, I don't know. It's good. I'll check it out. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. It's it sucks, doesn't it, when things like that happen? When you, you have every intention to go and watch a movie in the cinema, and then somehow life gets in the way and mm-hmm. you you end up catching it later down the line and you're like i really should have gone and seen that in the cinema <laughs> yeah but i mean if nothing else like i'm a sucker for for films that either were shot in one take or look like they were shot in one take like like birdman from a few years ago is still yeah. is still just one of the highlights for me um so i feel like i just have to watch it to watch how roger deakins did his thing you'll but, love it then you'll love oh it. yeah i'm sure i will um, okay, final question is, if you could go back in time, I don't know, 10 years, I have no idea how old you dudes are. But if you could go back in time and give like, young Xander and Elliot some wisdom from, I don't know, wisdom from the years ahead to prepare them for the journey ahead as filmmakers, what do you think you would tell yourselves? Uh, I would tell myself to sort of chill, you'll get there. <laughs> I, I was going to say something very similar, which is, um things take time and that's yeah. okay so enjoy the journey because you'll you'll have you'll get there you'll get there you have those moments and they, they will come but yeah. uh don't be so impatient <laughs> you guys really are one in the same it's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> a single organism <laughs> yeah yeah no so that's um that's probably a, a really good segue just to start talking about cosmos and actually maybe i don't know we first connected back in the days when i was writing for no film school and you guys, I think you guys got in touch with me about like a super 16 short, or maybe it was just straight 16 millimeter short you did. It was like a Victorian ghost story and it was like really well shot and very cool. Um, I don't know, like maybe maybe the question here is like, how how did you guys get into, into filmmaking? Like, and how'd you get so good at the craft? Like this is, that, that's a different question, I guess, but um it's always struck me that you guys are very, very meticulous in your craft and you light really well um, and you do it with very minimal resources. So I guess I'm curious how you got to that point. Well, first of all, thank you. 
because that's uh, that's an ultimate compliment there, especially from a fellow filmmaker. Um, we we, I mean, it's I guess it's the filmmaker cliche, really. We've always loved movies. Um, yeah. And when we were kids, you know, we just fell in love with it, and um, and we made we made films when we were the first film we made. We were three years. I was three years old, and it was five, because our dad. I remember we were coming home from like a family trip somewhere and our dad was like, should we make a film when we get home? And, and we were like, what, what, what do you mean by that? I just, it doesn't really even make sense to me. You know, uh, at that point, you're not really aware that someone actually makes these things that you enjoy watching. Um, and we got home and we got out the home video camera and we put together this little short film in our bedroom and it was the little toys coming to life. And this was before Toy Story, uh, you know. <laughs> I think there's, a, I think there's a, a lawsuit there somewhere, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, of course. Yeah, it was such a wonderful experience. It was so magical to see it come to life and so much fun. It, it left this massive imprint on us. And I think it took a couple of years of just like playing, playing at it for us to realize actually, oh, you know what, this is, uh, people do this for real when they grow up as everyone says when they're kids so you know why don't we uh, why don't we pursue it and and i think this really interesting thing happens when if you make that decision and you're like i'm going to be a film director you start telling people and they go you, you're gonna what and they have <laughs> such cynicism and they, they're like no you're not no 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 that's never going to happen or you know that's a one in a million thing and all this kind of stuff and I think it just kind of like emboldens you and you go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and yeah. I'm going to prove to you that I can do this. So, uh, yeah, that, that, I guess that, uh, I think the process for us of moving from something, a, a hobby into something that we do professionally, um, has been fueled by not a perfectionism, but like a drive to, to yeah. show that we can do a lot with very little. That's the, I think that gives me a real kick. Yeah, no, I, I love that answer. And there's a couple of things there that really resonated with me. And like, one is just this, like the power of making a decision and like a, a firm commitment in your life, regardless of what the people around you say, like they might, they might, you know, talk it down. They might tell you to be realistic, but once you make a decision in your mind and you're not, you're not like straddling two worlds with one foot in and one foot out, but you're like, no, this is, this is what I want. And more importantly, like, this is who I am. I am a film director or I am a, like, I am a, like an indie filmmaker and an entrepreneur. Like that's, that's my thing these days, the whole filmpreneur stick. Um, but like firmly saying that's what you are, it, it propels you forward. And it, it's, you know, you, you start like, even if you don't know exactly how you're going to get to any of these endpoints or like endpoints and making a living with what you want to do, like firmly making that decision and jumping in head first is, is powerful. And it, it just sort of fuels you going forward and you will figure out how to, how to get there. You will learn and you will grow. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. This is just something that's been really true for me across a variety of different areas of my life. Like lately, it's been been health and fitness. Um, it's happened at, like with career and business at a couple points, but just drawing a line in the sand and maybe even burning the ships behind you has a really profound effect. Um, it, it absolutely does. I mean, that's that's basically what we've done the whole the whole way along. Um, when we were at high school, we both. I got there first because I was I'm about three school years older than Xander, but 
you know, when the teachers were all going, you know, what university are you going to go to? You're going to go on to college, what are you going to do? Um, you know, I went, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump straight out. I'm going to leave school at 18 and I'm going to get on with this. This is what I want to do. And I believe in myself. And um, Xander did the same. And, you know, that, that kind of freaked a lot of people out at the school we went to. <laughs> um, but our parents were fully supportive of us and they, they were just like, you do what you want to do. Neither of our mom, you know, our mom and dad didn't go to university and they had highly successful careers doing what they wanted to do. Um, so we had good references that if you, you're passionate about what you do and you're committed to it, you can achieve it. And particularly with filmmaking, I think it's slightly different in the States because you do have some really like high caliber film schools and yeah uh, i would imagine media schools as well here in the uk we do have like a national film and television school but i don't think it's quite the sort of the um the networking opportunity and it, and it doesn't have the facilities that you know we're aware of that are available in the american system of education in film so yeah. you know it works for some people it's right for a lot of people to go to film school but it wasn't right for us so yeah we just jumped in and we went Let's make this happen. And, and you kind of, Xander uses the analogy sometimes, which I think we heard from somewhere once. I can't remember who it was, but it's like, it's sort of jumping out of an airplane and assembling your parachute on the way down. Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> and that, that sort of philosophy, it freaks people out. But, um, you know, when you've done a lot of freelancing uh, work, that, that kind of mindset of, I don't know where my next job's going to come from, but I know it will come. A lot of people that doesn't work for, but I think if you've got that spirit, then you can yeah. pursue filmmaking. Yeah, I love that. And I, like, honestly, looking back and knowing what I know now, I kind of wish that I hadn't gone to film school and I didn't go to any of the big ones. Like I started at the University of Denver, which is, you know, they've got a rinky dink little film program that was, you know, it was fine. Um, it taught me yeah. some stuff. But the thing I've realized since is that there's actually a lot of value in learning how to do this stuff and build your network and build these skills and like apply for jobs and doing it on your own and sort of being self-sufficient in that process because it, it builds a, a level of, um, I guess, character and self-reliance and all of these positive attributes that will carry forward and help you far more than if you just had, I don't want to say everything handed to you in film school, but succeeding as a filmmaker is just as much about who you are and your your drive and your commitment and your resourcefulness and your uh, ability and willingness to to figure things out as you go and you learn those skills through through learning those skills essentially and it's <laughs> it's it's uh it's and it, you do that so much more effectively just by doing it in the real world and immersing yourself in things and figuring it out for yourself um and also Absolutely. most most film schools are like 25 years behind in terms of what they teach, especially on the business side of things. Um, Interesting. So that's, yeah. that's always, uh, and they, that might, my, that might not be true for some of the, like, I don't know, some of the bigger ones, but mine, like most of the professors were, you know, like in Hollywood in, you know, like the eighties. And then they just went off to get their, their teaching, their teaching jobs and uh, sort of carried forward with them um, how things worked in the eighties and, and taught that, taught that to their students and it was uh not until maybe a couple of years after i left there that i was like wait a minute all of that that i was taught about this business is completely 100 percent ass backwards wow really yeah wow, it, crikey. it happens it, 
things but change quickly, don't they? they I do. think they're changing faster than ever. But I think you, I think you, everything you've said, I totally agree. Yeah, with you're spot on about the the experience of learning filmmaking in the kind of wild, as it were, is um, it's hugely valuable and it's powerful as well, like you said, because it doesn't just you don't just hone in on areas of the technical side of film production that you're interested in. It 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 brings with it the whole range of skills that is required and and even if you want to specialize in in something you know most people do if you want to be a director for example and, and not and not anything else that's what you want to focus on being introduced to dipping your toe and having to kind of uh make make things work in other disciplines for you because you're you're learning as you go and you don't have all the resources it's just i think it's incredibly valuable yeah i think it helps with I think it helps with communicating to with other professionals and and you know moving forwards into bigger productions you you've had that experience a little bit of experience in these different disciplines and I just think that's invaluable really yeah I love it so you guys um how have you guys been making your living like are you are you, do you guys make your living straight from you know like freelance projects or like how, how have you built your lives around making a living with these skills that you've been passionate about since you were kids um, well, when we, we currently, um, we basically earn a living off the, the projects that we make. Um, and we run a production company that, uh, for a number of years between about 2012 and 2015, we, we independently produced television documentaries. Um, and we produced about nine of those nine hours worth of tv which we speculatively made ourselves you know we 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 developed and researched and produced these entirely independently and then we sold them through distributors to to networks and tv channels around the world and yeah. the can we the can of, we stop and talk about that for a minute like that's, that's <laughs> oh, we something, absolutely can yeah because i like i i imagine that's something that is is possible stateside and you might like right now there's just like especially if you make like a docu-series that's got like really big characters you can probably just go sell it to netflix or something since they yeah they love that shit but i, yeah, I don't know i, mean, I guess well, I'm, yeah i guess i'm curious how you how you make like an hour-long program as a spec and have any confidence that you're gonna make money sure. on the back end like that's crazy it's interesting because we came again we came to this because we we had done a couple of years of freelancing as cameramen and as as directors and also we then did a year as as editors in-house editors as, at a local production company where we we lived um and and we in a nutshell in a year Zandra and i were responsible for cutting but really also directing because the guy who ran the production company would just dump the rushes on our table he'd dump the archive footage and he'd dump the interviews and go in a month i want a 52 minute show out of this and we'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> and actually over one year, which I think was 2011, uh, between us, we cut 30 hours worth of documentaries in what, in 12 months. Um, so we like seriously cut our teeth in streamlining how to take interviews and archive footage and put it into a factual entertainment show. And, and the first one of these we did, um, the guy had like a, he had a, a distribution channel um it was dvd wasn't it? it was straight to dvd yeah. yeah 
at the time. And uh, he had a 50-50 split with the sort of the uh, aggregator, I guess. And so he hadn't really, the producer hadn't really done much input on the show. You know, we, we, we basically did it end to end. And in his first month of release, he sold 25,000 copies of this DVD. And Zandra and I were like, bloody hell, you know, we've done all the work. We were grateful for our editor's fee, of course. But we were like, this guy is, you know, got a little business model here, which is incredibly effective. So we worked for him for a year. And then after about a year, we were like, maybe we could do this for ourselves. Um, but we had this kind of, this pie in the sky kind of goal, yeah. which was like, I wonder if we did this, but instead of going to DVD, we could get it sold to a channel like Discovery Channel, or yeah. something like that. We were like cutting this thing completely speculatively, committed a, you know a few months to it outside of other paid work, and we were like, let's just do this and, yeah. and jump off the, into the deep end. And and there wasn't any guarantee, um, but the cool thing is right that now we can sit here and we can say to other filmmakers like, I can guarantee <laughs> to some degree, like if you make a documentary that tackles a kind of globally uh, commercial project uh, so, topic, sorry. So we we focused on NASA and the Apollo program. Um, that I can I can tell you that like there will be a distributor out, out there who will take it and it will sell to TV channels. And it we we tell this um, to filmmakers all the time because it's just a fantastic way of kind of breaking yourself away from that um, you know being tied to freelance work and and having to take that next job. Uh, to be able to to invest time into a documentary now would be a perfect time with people off work and furloughed and, and things like that. You know, they could they could cut together documentary work, and then with enough of those, you can you start to live off the royalties, and suddenly you have all the time you need to pursue maybe those narrative projects that you want, whatever it is that you're you're keen and passionate about in, in filmmaking. You you've then got the time to sink into it. So. Yeah, it's definitely a big piece of advice. We knew that we 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 pursued that because we knew that in order to make something like Cosmos, we were going to have to take serious time away from freelancing. We couldn't we couldn't make Cosmos the way we wanted to make it and have to earn a living, uh, sort of actively, as it were. So we needed a passive income stream, and running a production company that was basically had you know a quarterly residuals check come in. Uh, would allow us to do that so that's what we did you know and we built up enough enough hours of tv to be able to almost divert our attention so like Xander said you know one of the things we say the most to people is if you can I mean again as are all sort of factual entertainment shows that they're, they're sold to channels like PBS Discovery Channel uh, Ray TV you know Canal um, Canal Plus Al Jazeera you know they've sold around the world and they're also now on Amazon um, Prime streaming and all sorts of things. And the, the, the market is really hungry. Um, I think that well, there are thousands. I think the last time I checked, there was something like 15,000 television channels in the world. And a very, very, very small percentage of those have the financial resources to produce their own content. So most of them acquire content from independent producers, repackage it or rebrand it as their own, and, and no one's the wiser. So the independent TV producer or production company, 
the service they provide is is in great demand and uh you know obviously there's the big streamers now like netflix or hulu or you know um you know amazon prime streaming etc and those are very very appealing big sort of carrots on the end of a stick and that it's very very possible that filmmakers could make tv documentary series and get them sold but the traditional networks are also you know the traditional networks are competing for for our attention too you know discovery channel doesn't want people turning off discovery channel and tuning into netflix so they're going to continue to make and buy content um to keep keep their audiences staying put so they can continue to charge advertising revenue and all that sort of thing so yeah i mean we we took that sort of leap of faith um back in 2012 and um and, yeah and followed that avenue there's a uh, there's so many things that i want to dig into there like one of them that you said that's like really just important and i think it's, it's just because we're living in covid times now is like just how how precarious being a gig worker is jumping from freelance job to freelance job. Like everybody right now, I don't know what it's like 80% of the film industry is just straight up out of work and has no income because everybody relies on gigs. Um, and so that's one thing, but like the other part that really stood out is this idea of like, I hate, I hate the phrase passive income, but like when you create intellectual property and then you license it and you, you know, you get those quarterly reports and then you start stacking these documentaries yeah. or these just this these various streams of revenue from all the IP that you've created, you can free yourself up to do more of what you want to do. And that's just not possible when gig work is your primary and or only source of income. Um, so that's a huge, no, huge, huge, really huge not. point. Yeah, um, I mean, passive income is a bit of a lame <laughs> phrase, particularly for right? because like you work really, really hard to make something and and there's nothing passive about it at all. It's just, it's almost deferred, uh, deferred income rather than passive income. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a, probably a better way to think about it. And I'm, so I'm curious just from like a nuts and bolts perspective, like if you were, I guess if you were starting fresh with a new documentary in 2012, you, you cause these days you probably have contacts um, and you know, some of the distributors who will be able to push your, your, your docs out to these various channels. But if you didn't have that, how would you approach the distribution side? So let's say you've made a good topical doc that you think is going to be appealing to, you know, a variety of channels. How would you then approach the monetization process? Um, well, personally, I would, I would do it the way we did it back then, which would be I would get on the internet and I would Google um, television distributors or you know, content distributors and I would get their contact information and I would reach out to them. Um, and that's what we did back then. And, and that's what we did with Cosmos in a way, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. And, and that's what I would do now. Um, Interestingly, I think there's because there are there are these new emerging. They're not really emerging now, but there are these new platforms for uh, kind of exhibiting your film and getting them to your audience through streaming and, and you know, Internet based uh, viewing of uh, films and documentaries and, and all that. I think it's easy to kind of completely skip over and overlook the TV market. And uh, it's, as Elliot said, you know, previously, it's, it's hugely vibrant and it's hungry for indie content. So if you can just make something that is going to be uh, of interest to, you know, as broad an audience as possible, whether they're in the US or in Russia or China or whatever, something that 
people are going to be keen to take a look at, then TV channels will will pay attention. Yeah, and I mean, pick it up. The last time I, I, I mean, this sort of figure I can't be quoted on, but I remember at one point, at one point, um, one of our documentaries was a two-parter, and it was being considered by the Smithsonian Channel um, for acquisition, and at that point in time, which was probably 2013, 2014, the license fee for like a two... For, it was two It was two hours, two, and, and I think it was uh, per hour was $50,000. I think it was more. No, it was $50,000 per hour, and because obviously doubled up, it was oh, yeah, yeah. So we didn't end up getting that deal, but like those are the kind of figures that... That's a high-end one, but those are yeah, the kind of figures that exist. They're, yeah. they're, they're floating around and... Um, you know, it's we didn't, we weren't, we're not big name directors. We're we're nobodies who made effectively made these documentaries in our own home. You know, in our offices, in our spare rooms, in our in our home. Uh, and then you get considered by these channels, Discovery, and all sorts. And and it it can really work out. Like I would strongly recommend if filmmakers can can do it, then try it. It's not simple and it's not easy to fit that into a busy schedule and a big busy life, but. If you can, then it's going to, it will pay. And, and the TV market, again, if you make a global, like you said, a topical subject, for example, the space race is a sort of internationally significant event. You then, you then on the quest of going, okay, well, we can, we can license it to the US. We can license it to all the different countries in Europe, you know, around the world. And, and the distributor will take it to market and they will get the highest bidder in each territory you know, fighting for it. And, and you can just really start to, some of the license fees are very, very small for small European countries. Some of them are very, very small and some of them are very, very big. But if you can build up enough, if you can build up a catalogue of work, like we did, we did eight, nine hours worth, then that over a period of time, those documentaries, the last documentary you made and delivered was in December, 2015. And we're still getting residuals off all of those documentaries and we actually haven't we actually haven't made a documentary since then and we also haven't taken any paid freelance work since then so we, we almost haven't done a paid day's work in five years that's um, uh that's amazing for one and pretty, also yeah it's crazy so one thing i'm really curious about that you just mentioned is you essentially made all of these docs from home like were these did you like just go to town on all of the crazy archival footage out there and cut your own things or how, yeah how do you, i mean yeah how do you make something original around around these topics so the documentaries they were standard documentary format you know talking head interviews with experts interspliced with intercut with archive footage you know it's nothing nothing new uh, on that topic for example um although interestingly towards the end we did we started, we, we came across like, uh, came upon an idea for a, a structure of documentary that actually we were quite excited about and uh, we were intending to do a series of them, but uh, eventually we, we wanted to just move over to Cosmos and get on with the feature film, but- Which was wrong. Well, yeah, the, the, the kind of concept was to actually remove the, the need for kind of talking head interviews with, with experts uh, on camera and actually just to take voiceover from the era. So our, our, our documentary, this particular one was about Apollo 17, so the Apollo era. They did these post-flight post interviews with the astronauts and we just took the audio 
and we took the visuals and our goal was to try and tell like a, a cinematic uh, kind of um, timeline of the mission as if you were on board really and, and the astronauts themselves from that time would just guide you through what you were seeing and what the experience was like and making it into more of a less of a kind of factual entertainment and more of like an, an experience really. Um, and interestingly, the, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years back, the Apollo 11 film came out, um, the, IMAX, the film. IMAX film, and it's very, very similar in structure. Like it's uh, uh, very similar to what we did really. So it's cool to see that there's that, there is a hunger for like a different slant on documentary, d- documentary work as well. But yeah, the, the, but in terms of the original structure, oh yeah, you yeah. know, it was talking head interviews, which we would go to universities, speak to physicists, speak to rocket engineers. There were a lot of in the UK, in particular, there were a lot of um, UK scientists that were drawn over to the states in the sixties and worked on the Apollo program and have since returned. And we went and interviewed them because they were in our own country and we could get access to them. And and all everyone was eager to to talk about their passion. And then we would just intercut that with NASA archive, which is all public domain. Um, you know, you can have access to all the moon footage, all the photos, all the audio, and, you know, cut it together into 52 minute shows or two parters uh, and package them up with a poster and some some spiel and, and a trailer and, and gave it to the distributor. And then they went to market and did the rest. So, you know, we, we cut it. We shot it, we cut it, we would grade it and sound mix it ourselves. Um, having having obviously learnt those skills as freelancers working for other people, we knew we could shoot, we knew we could package a, a project together and master it to the right standards, etc. Um, and knew we could deliver it. That's so awesome. I'm, uh, I don't know, it, it just makes me realize just again, like how how much money indie filmmakers are leaving on the table with the skills that they've built, um, trying to just make a living with indie features when they could be, you know, jumping into the television game and, you know, building up some residual income and, oh man. There's I a love lot. It. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot out there going. And, and uh, I think now more than ever, I mean, we watched a documentary last night actually on the moon subject of Apollo. And we were about five minutes in and I said to Xander, I don't know if you've noticed there's, all these interviews are just audio based. They've all these experts and all these historians. It was just a, a little caption would pop up and it would say sort of like John Smith historian, but it would never cut to them. And I said, they've, you could go to these experts and you could just put an audio recorder down on the table. They're not even cutting to a talking head anymore. Uh, and so, for example, in, in this in this lockdown period, it's possible to maybe even interview people remotely over the Internet and, and use their voice in a documentary. I mean, the opportunities are really exciting. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I get the sense that you guys are very passionate about space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we love space. (laughs) Yeah, no, and and that's um, like, I don't know if like we we had a conversation maybe like a year ago about how you might be able to distribute or distribute Cosmos directly to people who are equally passionate about space and astronomy. But the there's like a core idea here that I think like I really want to just hammer home. And that's that like whatever you are passionate about, like whatever, whatever, like you're just endlessly curious about can 
be a core driver of your filmmaking. And if you're endlessly curious about it, chances are there's a community, a worldwide community of people who are also endlessly passionate about it and want more content about it. And if you can find a way to, to tap into your, your passion and your curiosity and create the stuff that you would want to see or that you think that would, would fit into this segment of the market, even if it isn't, you know, the traditional idea of what an indie film should be, or it's just, you know, some dramatic Sundance thing, um, like if it appeals to that group of people who are passionate about this topic, then there's a chance for you to, you know, create something that's actually going to win a little bit of attention in the marketplace. Whereas if you just make another indie film that is just like a genre film, there's a million other things that are competing against it. Um, so it, there's, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at there. And like, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, I think the, with the internet now, particularly <laughs> sound, <laughs> sounds so millennial or whatever with the internet, um, <laughs> uh, with, with, with the, uh, you know, the way people can search and find your stuff now, I think in a traditional model, uh, TV producers or film producers might go, well, you know, how are, how are we going to find this market for this niche idea that you've got? You know, how are we going to get them to the theatres or how are we going to get them to our channel? But now, um, whatever you make, your audience can find. So, yeah, I think there is the opportunity to explore ideas and concepts and topics that perhaps a decade ago or less just wouldn't have been viable to, to produce. Also, you're, you're always going to produce your best work, aren't you, if you're, if you're personally kind of passionate about what, the story that you're telling. And obviously, you know, you, you, can, you can find that, you can discover that in a story, even if it's not, you know, some kind of deep drive that you've always had uh, within. But, but if you can couple it with something that means something to you and uh, has value in your life already, then it's going to, A, I think, push you to be better. But also, B, it's going to push you through the difficult moments when you kind of feel like giving up, you know, when you're, you're tired and you're fed up and you, you've been working hard on the project and it's still not even close to completion. If you if you don't really care about it, then, I don't know, times I, like that. I think, I think audiences respond to that passion as well, though. They, yeah. they see the passion in it. They can feel it. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, they can feel it. And it it's one of those things that just helps differentiate your contents or whatever it is that you've made from the, I don't know, literally abundant, unlimited choices that people have for how to spend their time. Like if, if, like, even if you create something that's fairly low budget and you're competing against, you know, literally everything else on the internet, everything that Hollywood makes, if it's so resonant with the group of people who want this even if it's a relatively small segment of the market like you're you're gonna win their attention because it was clearly made by somebody who cares somebody who gets it somebody who shares that passion like audiences can feel that they can sense that and it it just creates a sense of resonance that you're not getting from you know more generic media so there's there's so i don't know i i'm so passionate about this topic of like going niche and the possibilities that it unlocks but like that's such a great example of it um yeah. yeah, I mean, the the experience that we've had with uh, Cosmos, like, completely backs up that that theory, really. I mean, it's not even a theory, is it? But in the, we, we, yeah, we have uh, the two most common kind of things that we hear are either people who love space and sci-fi and astronomy going, oh, I feel, it feels like you've made this movie for me. Finally, there's a, a movie about 
the amateur astronomy community or about you know life out in space that really deals with these things I've been waiting to see uh, or it's it's other filmmakers who have learned the story behind the movie and feel kind of inspired by how we've achieved it or you know we, we've said since the beginning like our goal was to share the process of making this film but also but not just to be like very structured and formal about it but just to kind of wear our heart on our sleeves and go like this is who we are and we love movies and ask us questions and get in touch and let's have fun and man people are responding so well to that like they can feel they can feel the love and the passion behind this movie and and that they you know, they, do, also, they do say that regularly. There's also, like, on top of that, I'd say there's a third category of people who it's a bit more of an abstract idea and hard to define as a as a demographic, but we're getting people responding to sort of the tone of the film. They're going, thank you for making something that feels hopeful. Thank you for making something that feels sincere and about friendship and about warmth. And I don't know, if you were making a film, I don't know whether you'd go, we're going to make a film for the audience that loves hopeful, sincere, warm movies. I don't think you'd ever bracket that because we're finding that's coming from all walks of life. We've got parents who have young, youngish kids going, thank you for making something that my kids can watch that doesn't have sex or violence or swearing in it, that it doesn't have to be explicit to be good. You know, we're getting people who are, like Xander said, that maybe... I remember one recently, someone who said, I, you know, I studied astronomy at college, but I fell out of love with it. Life took over. I had a family. I grew up. I went and did my separate thing. I went and did my thing. And I've had my passion for this rekindled. You've made me realize and remember how hopeful looking at the stars is. And you can't define that, but you just have to go, well, this is the kind of movie we want to make. I know it's not for everybody. Some people don't like sincere sincerity. Some people don't like sentimentality. But actually, we're finding that in the world we're now in, where people are feeling very sort of oppressed by the, the heaviness of coronavirus and lockdown, and people, people are looking for escapism. They're not looking for reality. They're looking for hope. They're looking for optimism and, and warmth. And Cosmos, in that sense, couldn't have been better timed. Yeah, that's fascinating. And there's another idea or like a piece of subtext there that very often like the movie like the the indie movies that really break out they start niche but and like they they really go out of their way to to speak to that that core audience so in your your case you know you know the the amateur astronomers the people who have that that diehard obsession with space the curiosity with space but it sounds like the film itself you know is is you know it revolves around timeless human themes and things that we all experience or that we want more, you know, friendship, connection, warmth, all of that. And very often the, the, like the small things that break out into the wider market do that. They focus relentlessly on their niche, but because they're about some of these more universal human themes, they, they can appeal to a much larger market. Um, and what I found is that you can't necessarily go to the wide market, like right out of the gate. Cause like, like you said, like people who want like, heartwarming stories of friendship like you can't really target that in any meaningful way but you can target a, a smaller niche get some traction get people to start talking about it and caring about it and sharing it with their friends and you know and they they start pushing the boundaries and expanding a bit more to the to the point where you've created something niche but it's still appealing to a much larger market and it can it can grow and it can appeal to new groups that you never would have really 
you never really known. And and also like, you know, just tap into current circumstances like like times are tough and they're shitty in a lot of ways. But like, you know, art, art or stories that, that you know, heal the soul in some way can be, you know, they can catch on in times like these in ways that they they might not have otherwise. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I I totally agree. And, and something we found, uh, this is going to sound probably quite obvious, actually, but this is our first time through, you know, releasing a feature film, this process. But what we found as well is that the movie has, um, as time has passed since its release uh, back in November, has, like, fat, it's, it, it continues to kind of find and, and build and grow its own following and its community in the sense that when it was first released you know there was probably six six or seven out of ten people who saw it liked it four people you know really didn't like it you know and initially we were like well you know that's a good hit rate 60 percent that's pretty good going from an indie movie that doesn't have you know anyone in it and it's not made by anyone and it had no budget but as time has passed because the reviews are effectively like informing potential viewers what the movie is only the people who are looking for that kind of content are watching it so the percentage of those people who are loving it now is much higher because it's it's digging into those niches it's finding those kind of holes where those people are looking for that kind of content and and I think that's quite uh hopefully it's quite valuable for people anyone who's in the process of making something which is like know that actually as time passes your film will begin to kind of define its place it will find its audience yeah. the right audience will find it yeah yeah and it's what um ryan holiday uh, an author like a pretty prolific non-fiction author he calls it um actually it's not even his term but it's called a perennial seller um and it's something that like because uh, i guess a little back up a little bit but like so many f- filmmakers are waiting for the big payday like they they sell it off to a distributor and most most knowing they probably won't see money on the back end but they're hoping just for like one big splashy launch where they make their money back everybody's made whole um without realizing again on the back end that there can be like some of the best projects especially if you make them around timeless human themes can can take on a life of their own and through word of mouth through them reaching new community. And I, I assume you guys are talking about Amazon with it sort of like organically reaching mm-hmm. new people. Um, yeah, it's like, that's, yeah. that's what Amazon does. It's just like a giant data-driven recommendation engine. <laughs> it's maybe a little scary how much data they have on like what we buy and watch <laughs> and listen to. But, um, but like, that's, that's what they do is like, they, they learn that a certain types of, or a certain type of person likes this thing. So they recommend it organically to people who have similar profiles. Um, but but what I was getting at is this idea that your intellectual property can be an asset. And like you guys have discovered with with the documentaries, like it's true for feature films as well, is it can be a long-term moneymaker. And again, if you stack feature films on top of each other and have different revenue streams for each, and you make each of them not to not to be like a one-time event where you hopefully make a buck, but um they they are are just each long-term income streams of their own where they can pick up momentum, they can really serve these communities that they're meant to serve. Um, like that's that's another way of really having that diverse passive, uh, not passive income. Let's say we need a we need a better a <laughs> we better need a better term, term don't we? Yeah, yeah. Long-term income, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so I want to 
like every everything that you just said makes me really really curious why you ended up going with traditional distribution because we we like we had a talk like two years ago now like it was a long time ago when we talked about like taking the the very diy niche route um and and then it was probably like you know another 12 months or so before you actually released it so i i guess i'm just curious how you how you approached the distribution side of this this whole project sure well the I think our, our our logic. I think I think there are two there are two routes. Uh, there is the DIY do it yourself route, and actually, I think that's probably going to be the most profitable route financially. Actually, um, but there are there are different kinds of like profit if you want if you want to think about it in that way. Uh, and to us, we our goal was to hand the movie over to give it to somebody who could, you know, take it internationally and take it to these different SVOD platforms and, you know, engage aggregators and, and handle all of that for us so that we could then begin to develop new projects so that we could focus on building our community, you know, and really engaging with them and putting out new content and everything rather than trying to juggle it all ourselves. And I think if you had a, if you had like a small team, if you had like a, a handful of people who you were working with, together then i would say you know go, go diy like go for it because you can band together and you can you can balance that but i think given that we have this ambition to move forwards and, and and make progress we didn't want to feel that it was all resting on our shoulders and and to some degree we were happy to hand over you know hand over profits uh, to another company so that they could they could do that for us but similar to some degree with our experience with documentaries We'd made these documentaries, we've given it to a distributor, they take a cut, they take their expenses, but it works out because we're moving on to new projects and making new things. So it all depends on what your outcome is. Like, are you looking to run a kind of successful, you know, uh, production company that is uh, like uh, self, the, the, the money coming back from its films is funding its new films and you're building in, uh, this income? Or are you looking to kind of climb the ladder as a producer director? Are you looking to get investors in on your next project? Are you looking to go pitch to studios or something? It all kind of, I think it depends on what route you want to take. Yeah, we, we often, sorry to chip in there, but we, Xander and I often have a, we talk to each other and we say a phrase, which is like, there's more, sometimes there's more value than money in, in a film. Um, and although if you've got to pay investors back, and recoup your time and recoup your um your own personal investment in a film you can't dodge that we all have to pay bills and we all have to earn a living etc cetera, etc cetera. but sometimes we viewed cosmos as like the more the value in this film really is in the amount of people who can see it because if we can get this out far and wide and we can get loads of people enjoying it and engaging with it that might be more beneficial for us uh, with our next film than, than earning yeah. kind of than keeping a hundred percent of the profits rather than a profit share with a distributor. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I, I love the, I don't know. I, I just love this notion of asking like, okay, well, what do I want? Like, cause like yeah. me, I, I like marketing. I'm a nerd like that. I'm maybe a little masochistic <laughs> like that. Um, but I've, I've grown to love it and I've grown to see it as something that's, that's part of the process. And most filmmakers I've learned are very much not like that. Um, 
And like, if, if like what you really want is to go out and make more stuff and like, that's when you feel most alive, then you should probably make your decisions based on that. Cause if you, if you force yourself down this road where you're, you're just locked into having to market this thing and like, don't like, that's, that's what you have to do. If you want to take the DIY route and be successful, excuse me. And you want to be successful with it is you have to, you know, you yeah. have to split yourself into two and you have to be the marketer and you have to be the maker. And you know, those, and that like, that's a useful framework for me is like having, having those two things and being able to divide your time. But a lot of people don't want to do that. And if that's not part of your value system and it's, it's not important to you to, to do the, like the DIY and make as much as possible from, you know, distributing directly to a niche audience, then it just doesn't make sense to take that route. No matter how much somebody like me might shout it from rooftops. Um, like it, it has to be based on what you want and your values and how you're, how you're trying to, to build your life. So I, I really, really appreciate yeah. that point. I mean, it absolutely does. I mean, I would say our experience at least, with uh, so we're with Gravitas Ventures, who are you know they are a leading um, sort of distributor of indie films. It's they they're a, they deal with a large summer movies. They've got a good track record um, in representing movies. But our experience with them is that we Xander and I have have been the people who have been pushing the marketing mainly. I mean their 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 agenda, if you like their desire is to partner with filmmakers who know their audience know their film and and can really be the driving force in that and i think cosmos has been for, in in our eyes sandra and my eyes cosmos has been a success beyond what we had in mind it, you know what our target was but i but i think we should take quite a lot of credit for that because we have been very significant in building the online community you know we've cut all our own trailers we did the poster artwork we're the ones that you know are reaching out to, to blogs and and writing articles and podcasts and stuff like that i think the what you're saying is obviously 100 percent correct if you do self-distribution it's all on your shoulders but our experience for like entry-level movies is that actually a lot of it is still on your shoulders so i think if any filmmakers listening thinking oh you know i'll partner with a distributor and they'll take care of that um they may take care of it if they do take care of it they'll charge you for it and it, they, they just might not take care of it and then it's over to you anyway yeah and and, and oh yeah go on sorry well i was just gonna <laughs> i was just gonna say that like actually i feel a bit of an affinity with you there where you talk about being passionate about the marketing of yeah. a movie just yesterday we were talking about this and to me so much rests so much of the success this is again a very obvious statement but so much of the success of the movie rests on how it's marketed to its audience and and so often we see it going wrong and going badly for you know even massive movies where instead of like being honest and open about what their movie is and attracting the audience that will love it they try to brand it for everyone and therefore, you know, most people really don't like it and suddenly it flops or something. Well, and we then, watched the Lita, didn't we? Yeah, we watched the Lita, Battle Angel. And like, the other night. I, I actually, I really liked that movie. And, and I mean, it made something like $400 million worldwide, but in the eyes of the studio, it was a flop. And, and I, you know, as far as I know, there aren't any plans to make a sequel. But 
the problem I felt with that was that the trailer pitched a movie that that <laughs> it wasn't. And so people went to the cinema going, oh, I want to see this girl kick some butt on this race course and a CGI spectacle. Really, like, there was a lot of story, a lot of character, a lot of heart in the movie. And maybe if they'd have toned their trailer uh, content to match that, then it would have, I would have gone to the cinema to see it. It would have pulled people like me into it and and found the actual audience for the movie. So with Cosmos, for example, we didn't want to kind of create a trailer that was going to be this big bombastic, you know, action spectacle, although we would struggle because it's just a movie with three people, mostly in a car. <laughs> but we wanted to go like, look, this is the film. And if this trailer does not interest you, that's totally fine. Like, that's the point. do not watch it because I don't want you to watch it, hate it and rate it one star. If it's not for you, that's cool. Like, but if it is for you, then you'll love it because this is what it is. Like this trailer tells that story. And I, I, I find the whole process fascinating. Yeah, I think the desire for filmmakers, filmmakers should want to be involved in marketing because if you spend so long crafting this thing, to then hand that over at, to the into the hands of people who are going to market your movie who are, are nowhere near as invested in it as you, that's terrifying. Well, because yeah, all and your it, hard work rests on their decisions. Well, and yeah, and one of the one of the more frustrating trends in in just film distribution in general, and this is this is true from like the highest level movies, like you were just talking about with Alita, and I, it's it's true all the way down to the indie level. Is if you let your distributor cut a new trailer, very likely it's going to be or or create new poster art or any of the things that they might do to to market and then you know charge you and mark up all of their expenses and you'll never see money like it, this is a whole thing but yeah, yeah. um like it, there's just such a a really troubling practice of trying to to position your film to appeal to the mass market even if it's not so like the example that i remember most clearly in my mind is like the tree of life back from like 2011 or whatever like terrence malick movie yeah they whoever cut that trailer made it look like it was a, just like a nice coming of age like tale about brad pitt in southern texas like growing up and then when audiences go to see the movie it's some crazy existential terrence malick film with dinosaurs and the universe exploding <laughs> and like wispy existential voiceover and they're like what the hell is this and like that and that's where so like but it's it's outright decept like it's just deceptive marketing from people yeah. who, who well, are in is. charge of this and i remember the one that i've recently learned about which actually blew my mind was uh the fountain with hugh jackman Darren yes. Aronofsky, I, think. I just watched that again it's so and like good. which is obviously an insane movie but i was reading about movie marketing recently and they were like uh the trailer pitches it as if it's like three parallel stories that happen in different periods of time um, or not parallel stories, but, you know, one is in sort of um, ancient, not ancient Spain, but medieval Spain and it's all conquistadors in, in South America. And then you've got the present day Hugh Jackman as a surgeon and then sort of yeah. future Hugh Jackman. Floating actually, through was, a space bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Space bubble Jackman. <laughs> yeah, space bubble Jackman. Um, yeah. And and then I was reading this article and it was like, that's not what the film is at all. Like um, the future Hugh Jackman is actually inter Hugh Jackman's internal present day internal experience, mental experience. Um, and I was like, oh, what? And, and, and what this article was pitching was basically like the marketing, the marketing people at the studio were like, there's no way we can put that across in a two and a half minute trailer. So let's pitch it like this. And 
that'll get people in. But what it did is it completely shaped how I viewed the movie the first time around because I was like going, well, that's future Hugh Jackman, but it's, it's just not. Um, yeah, well, when, when, we were, when we were talking to, in negotiations with uh, Gravitas, we were just like, yeah, we can do the artwork and we want you to make a note of that. We've already made the posters, uh, they're ready to go. And, you know, we're going we to we're gonna cut the trailer kind of thing. And when it came to the release, I mean, they, they like that because obviously it's less work for them. But when it came to the release, they were like, OK, we want you, your trailer is, I don't know, what's the length of our trailer? Two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes. They're like, oh, we, we need like a one and a half minute trailer. Uh, you know, cut it, cut it down if you can. And we went away and we, we tried it. But everything we were making, it was it just did not feel like it represented the movie at all. It You end up sacrificing like uh, what getting across what the movie actually is for just squashing it into a minute and well, a they half. wanted that they wanted like a more condensed they did, basically yeah. like quote unquote sexier trailer yeah they're like we want it we want it to be more whiz bang pop and we yeah. were like that's recipe for disaster yeah if you do that we'll be screwed we we fought it and we just said you know we can't we're not we don't want to do that and the our thinking is this and we've built our following based off this kind of content and we have to target the audience that this movie is designed for and they went with it in the end and i think it I think it really paid off. Like, man, I would hate, I, I just, yeah, it would be horrible to hand your movie over and someone cut a trailer and you watch it and go, oh, that's just, that's just not, yeah. that's not our film. <laughs> it, happen, it happens to a lot of people. Um, so I, I would love to talk about just the nuts and bolts of the deal with Gravitas. Cause like my, my understanding is that like Gravitas was really sort of, you know, one of the, like the good mid tier respectable distributors back in like 2012 through 15 or something. But Lately, they've been like a, a bulk distributor. You know, they acquire mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40, maybe more titles a month. And often at very, I don't want to say predatory terms, but like, you know, it's 15 years, no money up front, um, split that's not necessarily in your favor um, and relatively high expenses. Um, and a lot of people are getting these types of deals now. So I guess I'm, I'm curious how you, because it, it sounds like you guys got... Um, a little bit more i don't want to say sweetheart deal but like you got you got theatrical like a, a north north america theatrical tour um and maybe a couple other things so i guess i'm i just want to hear about the the deal if you can if you can go into any of the details along with um like why you why you chose to to sign with them sure well uh, we can't kind of give you specifics just legally but yeah, like of course we can't we can be broad about it so for example we did we did get money up front uh, they did acquire it for us uh, for a good you know a good we were very happy with the mg um yeah, and, and that's that's rare for anybody who's listening to this it's yeah like, so this very, is the thing we, we this is like uh we didn't we didn't know that that was rare in the process and since that we've kind of gone and spoken to the filmmakers and <laughs> and it is rare so yeah i don't know i don't know clearly they saw potential in it and it was it's a real sign of kind of confidence in the project well, and I, I'm curious, just to, like out of the gate, did you did you already have any kind of audience congregating around this? Because I know you've been working on this film for a long time, and I think sort of interacting with like the astronomy community and whatnot. So did you did you have an audience beforehand, or like any um, kind of, yeah? We we did, but not nothing. I I would say nothing that really a distributor would look at and be like, oh yeah, wow, we've got this is an enormous following. It's, you know, maybe... There's a few hundred, a few thousand, few thousand, and really a core of maybe a hundred. Oh, hundred yeah, like, not, gotcha. not, not an enormous amount. Um, More so, than most filmmakers, so there you go. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you kind of look at your social media stats and you're like, oh, we've got 25,000 people following us. This is great. But like the real interaction occurs between a couple of hundred people. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had worked hard to build up a following, but it wasn't anything I feel personally that would kind of really sway it for a distributor. But gotcha. um, yeah, it. it the the process basically the process went like this so we decided not to get a sales agent because none of the sales agents we were speaking to really kind of lit our fire as it were we just didn't feel like it was right and we'd done everything else ourselves so we were just like you know what why don't we try and broker the deals ourselves so we made a list of distributors uh using imdb pro rated them on their kind of industry ranking and then we filtered through them to find distributors that we felt would be interested in our kind of content who had, you know, a good uh, track record, um, both domestically and internationally. And then we we reached out directly to them and we yeah. pitched our project. We had a little kind of one sheet and we had a, a little treatment thing and said, yeah, this is this is who we are. This is our movie. This is our target audience and all that kind of stuff. And if you want a screener, we can send you one. Yeah, yeah. And then we sat back and, and some people got back straight away and weren't interested. Some companies uh, took their time. Gravitas was one of them, but they eventually came back. Um, and we, we've we actually just written an article uh, that should be going up on No Film School soon, actually, all about this process. And the one thing we say is, like, if you can, try to get a couple of distributors interested in your project if you're going to go mm-hmm. down that route, if you're not, not going to do yeah. the DIY route. Start a bidding because, war. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> start a bidding war. They, you know, because look, we we don't know we, we don't know the kind of ins and outs of brokering film deals like a sales agent would. And we can research and read as much as we want. But the reality is we're not going to feel that confident in turning around to a, a single offer on the table and being like, no, we want this instead of that. They might just tell us to Well, know. that's actually what happened. We had initial interest from a different um distributor who uh, they were sort of a boutique distributor. They were dealing with some theatrical movies um, and we reached out to them and they, the guy who was the acquisitions agent, um, head of acquisitions actually, gave us uh, our first offer on Cosmos and it was sort of a longish term and there was no upfront, there there was no no MG (laughs) and there was no sort of performance clause in there. And we were like, well, what's, you know, where are, um, where's our safety net, you know, where's our protection as the, as the filmmaker, as the producer? Well, the, the, you know, and they were like, well, there isn't one and there's no negotiation. There is no money on the table. And that's that. Yeah, and as no. soon as Gravitas came into the mix um, and out of the gate offered us a deal with theatrical and an MG, we then went back to that original distributor and went, okay, you know, this is the deal. We've got competition. And suddenly they presented money and mm. it was like, oh, okay. It kind of left a really bad taste in our mouth, to be honest, because we were like, we, we, uh, we, we I know this seems totally naive, but we were like, we're, we're nice guys. <laughs> you know, we're trying to be honest with you and talk to you. And, and can't you see that we've made this thing? And all we're asking for is, is something, um, a bit of goodwill that you will do what you say you're going to do. No, we don't do that. Suddenly, it all changes and they're offering money and they're trying to outbid Gravitas. And it, it really made us aware of like how really where the power lies to a certain degree in mm-hmm. the sense that they wanted what we had and they were trying to get it for as 
for nothing. Um, and as soon as there was a competing offer that also backed up that, gave that sort of social proof that the film was worth bartering for. Um, but we didn't even the need, tables turned. Yeah, you know, we didn't. Need, but we was, didn't. That was a bit frustrating. We didn't necessarily go. Oh, you know, we have this other offer on the table. But just knowing what somebody else was offering allowed us to go to you know the competing distributors and say, you know, we would like this. This is what we're looking for. Can you offer it? Like, and have that confidence because somebody else has offered it to us. So, yeah. and if they say no, you go no problem because we've still got one. Yeah, but you don't. You don't feel like you know you're taking some enormous risk like if you're uninformed and you're just going you know what we want more money you know give us more money and you don't have anything to back that up you're sitting mm. waiting for that email to come back thinking oh have we <laughs> have we have we pushed our luck there are they are they going to just walk away um so yeah if you can get competing distributors that's obviously a fantastic uh, outcome really it really helped yeah i love that did you um did you end up negotiating with gravitas as well yes yeah, yeah we, we did, did that. yeah 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 i i don't know how do you how do you think about that process and like what do you know like i don't know what what was it important to you guys to negotiate for and and how did you go about doing it um to us we again we, we kind of have to skirt i guess but the the term of the deal was important so we worked on that which um, we brought down which we brought down yeah um and we pushed up the mg and we secured, we ensured that theatrical was like non-conditional. So they weren't going to spring something on us later down the line and pull it, pull it from under us, really. Um, and we, we tweaked, you know, fees, uh, international rates and all sorts of stuff. So the, it wasn't, I mean, again, I don't know if this is the experience that other filmmakers have, but we, whether it's Gravitas or whether it's the movie that we had or the research we've done, uh, we found that we could negotiate um you know there was wiggle room there and, and certainly when it came to actually the contract when it was written up we went through that with a fine tooth comb and we ran it past a friend of ours who's a lawyer and we went back and we had notes and we had adjustments and uh some of them they budged on some of them they didn't yeah but but you know they they did they did there was a conversation yeah there was is, you know, i think the other thing that's um worth noting is that we um do you know what? I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> um, what I was going to say was uh, about negotiation, we... What the hell was I going to say? <laughs> I might have to come back to... It was something about, like, uh, what we were... It was really good. <laughs> it, what were you saying? You were saying... Uh, the fact that we, we worked through them with the contract and there was a conversation and... I don't know. It will have to come back. To it you. was to do with like what the why we went. Oh, that was it. One of the things was we spoke to a couple of filmmakers who gave us quite frank, sort of their quite frank experiences with Gravitas. Um, so we were like, you know, in your experience, what's the deal? And they were going, well, you know, they'll say they'll do this and they will, and they'll sell. They they say they'll do that, and in my experience, they won't. Um, and we spoke to a few of them and we got correlating stories. And so we knew going in, uh, if we were to sign with Gravitas, to sort of expect what we thought was going to happen and, and prepare for what we assumed they might backtrack on. And in our experience so far, that has been accurate. Um, but, you know, people, some people have asked us, like, like you did, you know, 
the, the Gravitas brand might have changed in recent years. Why did you or why didn't you go with them? And it was because we knew we had an inkling of what we thought we were getting into. And we thought that, that was that was worth it. Um, although we might be relinquishing certain control here, we might lose a bit of this there. Overall, we felt that might be more beneficial to us as a, as a whole rather than the micros that we might. They also they also have you know enormous vast experience and although you are certainly uh, one of many on their books, like they have they have the inroads, they have the contacts, they know the markets and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think again, like I guess you have to take some credit with your own work, but it's a bit awkward if you're British, you don't really like to blow your own trumpet. Um, but like I think I think Cosmos is performing well for them and i think maybe they saw the potential in it uh during those negotiations so i can't we can't speak it's not a broad thing for all filmmakers it, it depends on you know as with all movies it depends on your market and what kind of storytelling and all that kind of stuff but you know in a nutshell this the relationship so far with gravitas has been mostly positive but as with all distribution stories, there are always issues here and there. So it's uh, it's it's so far so good, I guess. <laughs> we could we we haven't we haven't been screwed over. So that's you know yeah okay. no, and that's it, and to me it sounds like there there are a couple things working in your favor, like the fact that you spent seven grand out of pocket for Cosmos and that's it, like is amazing because it it looks like it could be like a two hundred fifty five hundred thousand dollar movie, which again props to you guys. Clearly, you honed Thank your you. craft over the years. And we're able to, to pull that off. Um, but that also gives you massive leverage in the distribution process. Like I'm, I'm guessing you probably, you, you probably made a profit just from the MG, which again, most filmmakers don't get. But since you kept your budget so low, um, like you were able to do that. Because again, if it was a $500,000 movie and you, know, you, you get a, a $10,000 MG and then probably won't see anything more on the back end, um, you're just kind of screwed. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Then, and then, and something that we did as well is we committed to the concept of basically taking the the advance and and pouring it into kind of additional things for the movie to market it. You know, yeah. for example, so so we had a premiere in the UK, and and that that helped pay for that. And we did we've done marketing and Facebook advertising, and, and we've pushed it in. So you know, it's uh, it is it is accurate to say you know some people go oh but you've made a movie for $7,000, sure, but you've also probably marketed it and spent money on advertising and things like that. And yeah. we have, but not from not from our own pockets and not not from the actual kind of budget, if you could call it that. Um, it's a useful tool, I think, in MG. And I, yeah. I obviously didn't, did, you know, I don't think everyone gets one, but <laughs> definitely not. we did. Definitely not. But, and like the other thing I just really want to point out and, and sort of not, not congratulate you guys for it, but just commend, I guess, is the level of due diligence you did in, in all of the research and, and getting different deals from different people and being being prepared to send them a one sheet and all of this stuff as opposed to just sending them a screener link and being like, hey, guys, would you like to buy my movie? Which I see a lot of people doing that kind of thing. But and yeah, then we did a, we did a lot like, again, we've, we've just we've been we've tried to write an article about it recently, and it's really quite hard to condense <laughs> the amount of work that we did and yeah. the amount of like you said diligence due diligence that we did because 
I think if you, I think if if filmmakers approach distributors, I think acquisitions guys and girls, acquisition teams, they can just see you a mile off, and they're like, okay, these these people don't know what they're doing, and they don't know what's standard and what's not, and we'll just be able to, you know, it's daylight robbery. So I think if you can arm yourself with some knowledge, speak to some people. We we even were able to speak to some quite experienced producers um, who we just slowly networked our way towards. And they were they were really nice. You know, they just sat on Skype with us for about an hour and they were like, what are the terms of your deal? And we were going this, this and this. And they were going, okay, you know, that's that's standard. That's negotiable. That's not that, you know, and we were just we were arming ourselves with knowledge. Um, Yeah. One of the one of the most useful pieces of knowledge we got uh, was from a from a producer. And he was just like, the deal won't go away. Uh, He said, like, if, if someone's made you an offer they'll try and pressure you and they'll try and scare you, but it won't go away. And we were like, are you, are you sure? And they were like, just, I mean, you don't have to use that piece of advice, but just trust me. And when we were in negotiations, one of the distributors was like, okay, this, this deal is on the table now and it's on the table till 6 PM Friday. And that's it. We're kind of losing our patience with this backwards and forths. And Zandra and I looked at each other and we were like, should we just tell them? No, we're not ready. (laughs) because we weren't because we weren't we weren't ready to make a decision but we knew they were pressuring us to try and get us to commit to them and we just sent them an email we were like you know we appreciate your situation but that's just not going to work for us we need more time and we waited you know biting our nails and this email just came back went okay fine and we were (laughs) like holy smokes you know and then we proceeded to do that to that distributor for about three weeks just kept putting them off and putting them off and putting them off and eventually we didn't actually go with them, but we were able to use that delay to our advantage with other negotiations. And yeah, I think if people can reach out, get on Twitter, reach out to filmmakers who have done similar, you know, look up on on IMDb, a film that's in your genre that has, you know, oh, it's distributed by XYZ. Reach out to the producer, reach out to the director, reach out to the writer via Twitter, and, and they'll likely respond to you and go, yeah, I've got a tale to tell, and I'll give you the benefit of my experience. And um, that's what we did, and that's what we now do. You know, we do get people reach out to us and go, can I have a chat about Gravitas? And we're like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. And the other, I don't know, the other piece of subtext there is like, and this this ties back to like what you were talking, like, at the very beginning of this conversation is just playing the long game, not jumping on the first opportunity because it's the first one you've seen and you're hungry, but waiting things out and, and seeing what you're able to to manifest. And that in and of itself is so powerful. Um, and it, it allows you to suss out opportunities that never would have materialized had you, had you just jumped on it like most filmmakers do because you know, they're, they're desperate. They want to be done. And you know, yeah, an offer of any kind feels like validation, even if it's predatory. So. Absolutely, we we sent our first email to Gravitas in December 2018, and we did not get we didn't get a reply to them until mid March, or reply from them until mid March. So we we were we were like, oh well, Gravitas just aren't interested. That's it. We'll move on. Um, but it, it, three months later, an email pinged into our inbox, and it was like, hi, you know, X Y Z from Gravitas here we'd like to see a screener. We were like, oh, blimey. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's patience. It's a, it is a tough balance, though, isn't it? Like you said, because, you know, you don't know at the time and uh, it's easy to look back and be like, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, have some patience. But yeah, you never in know. the moment, you're thinking, 
that's a no. That, I mean, to some degree, we're facing that now with what we do next. You know, we're talking to people and producers and things, managers and stuff, and we, and you're going, well, this feels good, but are we jumping the gun here? Are we? Should we be waiting to see what what's further down the road, or will the opportunities go? It's a dilemma, and it does yeah. sometimes feel that as a filmmaker, there are so many roads that could lead to a disaster that you, you know you you really it is worth taking the time to consider and, and figure out what's right for you absolutely and it, it seems important to mention again that like i i imagine you guys were able to take that time because of this foundation that you guys had built around your business with the documentaries and the royalties coming in like um you, yeah you weren't like you built your lives in such a way that you didn't have to make a decision quickly and that is just more power in your corner and it gives you more opportunity um, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Like it's completely understandable that people would be, you know, in a rush to start getting some money back from the investment they've put in themselves. So for us, it was a bit different. It was like, you know, we were secure and 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 it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a rush. The rush was just for us. We wanted to get out there. We wanted wanted the film to be seen. And we wanted to take our next steps. So, but yeah. yeah, a bit different to the to the norm, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's killer. I uh yeah, no, this is fantastic and it's a, it's just a good case of traditional distribution for, you know, for a, a truly micro budget or no budget film actually working out in the favor of the filmmakers. And like again, it's it's early. Like you I think you guys said it it, you know, Gravitas released it in what November of 2019 mm -hmm. and we're Yeah. It's it's May of 2020 right now as we record this. Um, so like there's there's still plenty to come. I'm sure you're gonna be with them for I don't know, 10 years or however long you decided to to sign for, but um like you you got what you needed. And that's that's it's incredibly rare, but like it's because of your your I don't know, your your patience and your due diligence and the fact that you built your lives in such a way where you could actually do that. And it's um it's just smart. It, yeah, I mean we we like I guess it depends on what people's goals are, what their outcome is. Like for Xander and I, we want to, we want to be filmmakers, film directors that can, uh, we're in it for the long game. You know, we, we want to spend our lives doing this and we hopefully want to climb the ladder. So Cosmos wasn't designed really to be a business venture. Yeah. It was, it was designed to be a calling card as a director. So, mm -hmm as directors, we wanted something that we could use as a crowbar to, to, to lever our way into business meetings with studios or production companies or agents or whatever. So from that standpoint, we had built ourselves a production company that we knew could bankroll this, this venture. And like we keep saying for us, the benefit in Cosmos is in its, in its ability for us to, to, to pick up the phone and speak to people. And yeah. that has given us some freedom in a way to, to gauge our own measure of success. So for a lot of independent filmmakers who want to do the same, but aren't in a position to finance or uh, self-produce their own stuff, we recognize that 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 isn't necessarily very helpful for them to hear. You know, they go away, they get a load of... But, you know, Kickstarter these days, crowdfunding, that is basically no strings attached budget. Mm -hmm. So if you can, if you can get an audience assembled, if you can make a, a project that is 
broad appeal or at least appeal to a, a niche audience that can find it. I was going to say then, Kickstarter and like just or any kind of crowdfunding. Like if you can if you can do this niche marketing thing and and yeah. tell a story that isn't being told for this niche audience like that, that on because, you know, most most filmmakers these days still fail it at crowdfunding because they try to make sort of a mass market project and like, mm. and they spam, they spam their friends and family on Facebook and they, they try to get it out wider, but because it's a mass market project, nobody cares because they've seen 10,000 Kickstarters that look exactly the same. But when it's a niche product that, that, that small segment of the market is hungry for, and they're not getting from other types of media, like exactly. again, that, that unlocks free money. In essence, like it you does. have to, you have to do a shit ton of legwork to run any kind of crowdfunding campaign, and it's a full time job. But like, no, no strings attached money is such a rare thing in in filmmaking. Period. And having this ability to target a niche and then market yourself, like, it unlocks that in a way that, that very does. other few things can. So sorry, I cut I mean, you off, but like, it's super. No, super no, no important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see we see short films on Kickstarter. That successfully raised three or four times the amount of money that Blows we spent mind. on Cosmos. People which who spend is incredible. Like, yeah, forty like, forty thousand dollars short films. Like I will. Yeah. It just I can't Insane. I can't handle it. <laughs> I don't know where they spend it, but you know that's up to them. But if you can raise that kind of money and make a feature, then yeah, okay, you might get an MG, you might not. You might see some profits, you might not. But it kind of doesn't matter because yeah. the audience have already paid for it effectively they've gone okay here's my upfront money go make it and if you make any profit on that brilliant but if you're looking i would imagine most filmmakers out there listening and the most filmmakers we talk to we want we just want to spend our lives making movies telling stories yeah so if you're trying to run a business doing this that's a challenge but if you're trying to make a calling card that can get you your next gig in theory it doesn't matter if it makes any money or not. Yeah, that's yeah, a, I mean, it's a super, super, super important point because I, I am obviously on the build a business around around your films train. Like, yeah. and I to to my mind that that's like the ultimate expression of of freedom. Like that's why I call my brand filmmaker freedom. Is like this idea that you get to make exactly what you want to make who like for the group of people that you want to make stuff for without all of the the restrictions and strings attached and whatnot that come from trying to operate within the industry like that to me is is what i value and what i'm after but i always have to remind myself that again i'm kind of a weirdo in that regard and that you know working your way up the ladder of the industry being able to direct bigger and bigger projects within that ecosystem like that's that's such a compelling goal for other people like and even if it's not for me like it is like there my my methods won't necessarily get people to that point so it's it's just it speaks to the 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 insane importance of knowing what you want um and i don't know i i think i spent a good part of my life not knowing what i want and sort of endlessly drifting and having other people tell me what i should want and being like okay and then being like why am i not happy when i chase this thing but um so i, think, I don't yeah go ahead i was gonna say like i think you're totally, totally right, by the way. Yeah, you are. We're, we're actually, again, <laughs> this is quite bizarre, but we are totally in your camp right now. We're thinking about, um, well, I'll get onto this in a sec, but I, what Elliot just said about raising some money on Kickstarter and, and, and creating something and then not necessarily having to see, you know, an enormous amount of profit to be able to look and say it's a success. I think that also falls in line with the fact that, like, if you're 
trying to raise funds, if you're trying to pull people in to, to produce movies, you're always going to face the skepticism. You're always going to face like, well, what have you done before? You know, what's your experience? Have you made a feature film? Have you directed a movie before? Like, that's what we faced. And we were told to go off and basically make a movie, which is really hard to hear because you, you're like, well, I'm trying to raise money here, I'm trying to get some investment. And now you're telling me to go and make a movie. It's chicken and egg. But I think like I would say, make a movie, raise a bit of money on Kickstarter, make a movie. Don't worry about whether or not it makes an enormous sum of money, but then use that movie to then build your business. Like if you're going to go down the route of like self uh, production, use use that movie to kind of go to investors or to do another Kickstarter. Now you've got a bigger fan base and 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 get that investment. Um, that's kind of what we're looking at currently because we're balancing this these two routes of like, well, do we go to Hollywood and try and you know pitch to Amblin and Bad Robot and things like that and see where that takes us with the risk of like getting stuck in a development swamp. Uh, but but it's exciting <laughs> or do we go actually you know what we've got we've got a fan base we've proven we can make a movie we could now go back to those investors we spoke to 10 years ago and we could raise money using the movie we've just made and we maintain control we take more of the profit uh, and we're not kind of like stuck in some development hell really so I I personally believe that the route to true kind of creative fulfillment as a director is maintaining that control if possible but there are there are certainly people out there who are just like i just want to direct and i'll you give me a script and i'll go and i'll, I'll direct it um and we're not necessarily those people but we are trying to find that balance between the opportunity and the kind of freedom um and you're only really willing to give up so much freedom for for so much opportunity it's about this sliding scale isn't it it's like if someone's going to come to you with 30 million dollars you'd go okay fine you it's your say uh on, on on the final cut of this movie but if they're coming to you and they're saying we've got two to three million dollars and you're thinking um i think we can raise that completely independently and maintain control well then what, why wouldn't you really oh, it's it's uh, an exciting prospect yeah that's brilliant i love it so uh, I know I know you guys have a have a dinner to get to, and I won't hold you too much longer. Um, <laughs> That's okay. What's uh, what's next? Because we're we're all still basically in quarantine, and you guys mentioned earlier that you're 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 tossing around some ideas and 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 sort of creating what's next. So yeah, what's uh, what's next? Yeah, I mean it, it is interesting because up until March, as Zander said, our plan was to fly back out to LA. We were out there in November when the film was released. We were going to go back out there and we were going to start partnering with some producers and pitching to studios. So we had some, you know, modestly modestly sized, we guess, entry-level studio-type films um, that we think they might, uh, you know, hand over to young-ish uh, film directors and go, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see this through. But obviously now that's all changed and we don't know when the industry will open up. We don't know when flights between our countries will be on again. And in all honesty, like, yeah, it, we're not it's really... It's about how, what we're comfortable with and I'm not interested during a pandemic in flying to another country and working. I'd rather just stay at home at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we are currently uh, developing an idea which is a 
sort of a grounded sci-fi idea. Uh, it's, but we're looking at how it can be produced in this COVID world where there are restrictions on crew size and all that sort of thing. So we're looking at a contained story with maybe even a solo character, a solo character driving a story through um, an entire film where we can have a skeleton crew, a single location, and shoot this film with some, with some financial support, raise some investment to do it, upscale it in terms of its production values and its am ambition, but, but still make it in quite a contained way. Because although our hopes were having made Cosmos the way we did, where we juggled everything and it had all been, everyone had been spinning plates and it was a small production and we hoped to step up onto a more established, bigger crew, um, we've actually now found ourselves where the skill set that we developed on Cosmos is kind of the only way uh, foreseeably films will be able to be made. And so we feel in the, in the you know, short term anyway, um, we feel that there might be a, a little bit of a, a golden era coming in for the micro budget indie where the big league are somewhat hindered by their scale. They can't get the crews together. They can't operate with these restrictions, but uh, responsible filmmaking with a small crew and contained stories can actually see things through. And so, so yeah, we're developing a, a contained sci-fi movie that somewhat riffs off Cosmos, but it's, it's slightly different. It's, it's building upon it. Um, and we're looking to raise, currently independently raise a budget. And we're, we're speaking to some investors now who are, you know, who 10 years ago were going, oh, I don't know whether you can do it. And yeah. now suddenly they're going, cool, what have you got? And we're going, oh, typical, you know, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what we're sort of working on at the moment to see if we can make anything in this, in this odd time that we're living in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think um, on, on a slightly different note, just on the topic of like a lot of what you, what you push and what you talk about with regards to film production and distribution, I think, you know, there is a, having seen what Cosmos has done and starting to see the figures and, and what's involved and everything, like there is a very strong um, route in DIY distribution. And I think like, I think what's worked for Cosmos is, is its genre and its kind of appeal that's allowed us to go down a traditional distribution route and it's worked. Now you could argue that with that genre and appeal, uh, going DIY would have been even better for us, but it, it's hard to know at this stage because there's well, a lot more. Yeah, not, not, yeah, not with uh, the goals that you guys have though. Like if it was, if the yeah. goal was to make as much money as possible and maintain your rights and all of that, like DIY would have, you, you guys probably could have made a killing with, with DIY, especially if you built out yeah, like yeah. ancillary products and revenue streams around it. But yeah, it sounds like that just wasn't, it wasn't in the cards because it wasn't part of your vision for where you want to go in your careers. And that's, I think like, yeah, like, think yeah going with so. a traditional distributor who can like, that's going to carry more weight when you go like, and, and the, the fact that it's going to be seen by like a larger audience and you can like piggyback on the fact that you had a, you had like a theatrical tour or whatever you want to call it in North America. Like these are all just like signals of credibility for where you want to go in your careers mm, that yeah. going the DIY route probably wouldn't have provided that level of credibility to, to more industry folks. So yeah, certainly. So, and, and I think also to some degree, we'd had this experience with documentaries where we, we saw 
we saw the potential in TV as well. Um, and I think that's something that's appealing, uh, partnering with Gravitas is, you know, the potential for pitching to TV networks, which is just something that maybe you could do independently. But, you know, I mean, you can't go to markets and, and pay for stalls and stuff. It's just extortionate. So I think there's a, there's a lot of potential there. Um, but I mean, I, I guess I think what you've said about knowing the outcome, knowing the goal is, is critical. And, and actually I think, I guess it, it all depends on each individual case, but I could, but I can totally see and would, you know, totally kind of recommend the DIY route. I could, yeah. you know, having, having put a lot of time into the marketing of Cosmos ourselves and having seen the, the numbers of people who are watching it you kind of go, well, how much of that is us? How much of that is that distributor? Um, oh, it's, so, it's you guys. It's you guys yeah. and the fact that you made a movie that a niche audience actually is willing to give a shit about. Um, yeah. But like, that's the thing. If you guys had different different goals and different values, you could probably build an insanely profitable business around space and like astronomy-related films. It could be like short films and documentaries. Like all of it will appeal to that that same that same niche and like you you could build that business but again it's not it's not what you guys are are after it sounds like and well, that's, it, that's interestingly, okay yeah i mean interestingly in the last two days we've actually had a conversation where we've we've looked at the figures we've just had our first sort of quarterly report come in from gravitas and uh you know we've actually had conversations where we've said we could take a you know, siphon off a pot of money, a little bit of money, and actually produce another independent filmmaker's movie and say, look, you know, we made Cosmos on seven and a half or seven. We're going to give you a little bit more than that, but you've got to do it in a similar way. You've got to, you know, be very indie about it, but you can make your film and we'll have our say in it. But then we, we, we then start to build a business model where we're then taking that film to market and taking the profits from it you know the filmmaker gets their gets their break they get someone putting money in to go okay i'll make your movie and we're walking away with the the, the lion's share of the, the you know ownership of that film yeah it's kind of the same thing it's the same path that we've experienced with documentaries yeah. you make something for somebody else you see how it works you understand the, the kind of cash flow and, and the structure of it and then you go, okay, how can this be adapted? So instead of making money for someone else, why don't we make money for ourselves? Absolutely. Um, but again, our main goal and our main remit with this film is for everyone involved, exposure. It's about getting this as far and as wide as possible with as much credibility. And, and for us, that felt like partnering with the distributor gave us that that, that credibility. But it's it's certainly a fantastic time to be like an indie filmmaker. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but yeah. to be able to make movies and get it to people is just yeah. amazing. And I, I just want to say, like, I love, I love your take that, um, like, being able to be really small and nimble with your crew and and shoot with that that skeleton crew is actually going to be an asset in the coming months and years with yeah. this whole corona. Like, because there there have been so many doom and gloom takes about like, oh, coronavirus is going to absolutely destroy indie film and we're all going to die and you know the sky <laughs> is falling. Um, but I, I tend to be on your side that the, being able to be super small and nimble, small cast, small crew is going to be an asset. And especially if yeah. you can keep the cost low and go to a niche audience, um, that's going to give you so much leverage. Whereas the rest of the industry is going to be struggling to figure, 
figure it shit out, um, yeah. we're, we're going to have that, that advantage going forward. And it, you know, so, it's, well, it's, like it's, you said yeah. at the beginning, you said the people who, the people who adapt in this moment are going to adapt and survive and thrive. And the people who try and sit it out and wait for the world to go back to the way it was and go back to normal are going to be disappointed because the world may never go back to the way it was. Um, and also it's kind of called guerrilla filmmaking for a reason. Like if you think about that in a military sense, you've got a ginormous juggernaut army, which are, its advantage is it's got the firepower and it's got the infrastructure. And it can, if it was facing off against another army, it would crush it. But against guerrilla fighters that use the advantage of movement and they can move quickly and they can duck and cover and hide and shapeshift, a traditional army can't fight that guerrilla force. And we've seen that happen several times in recent conflicts. And it's kind of the same thing in movies. You know, the, the guerrilla filmmaker can turn what, what, a, what Hollywood would consider to be disadvantageous. It, these circumstances make it advantageous. Now Hollywood is completely hamstrung. They've got the, the you know, they've got their laces all tied up and there's nothing they can do. And they don't know any other way to make movies. You know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get J.J. Abrams going, actually, do you know what? Forget all my Panavisions and forget working at ILM and Skywalker Sound. I'll actually get a camera and do it myself. They're just going to be like, I don't want to do that. Quite rightly. <laughs> Quite rightly, you know, they, they've earned their right to be in the big league, but Hollywood's not going to do that. And so now might be a golden age for indie film where there'll be this content vacuum, um, everyone's going to burn through their Netflix watch lists and they're going to be going, well, that film that would never have been given a look in last year, suddenly people might go, actually, do you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see what, well, let's see what it's are, like. People are saying that with Cosmos. They're saying, yeah, I wouldn't normally watch this, but you know, I've, I've run out of things on my watch list. <laughs> oh, I really loved it. You know, and you go, wow, it really is a content vacuum. And right now it's like, off the back of this, out of the back of this situation that everyone's experiencing, that empires are going to crumble and empires are going to fall. Like new empires will rise. And, and I think it's really important that indie filmmakers out there kind of go, right, what have we got that, uh, you know, big studios can't compete with? And actually right now we have an incredible amount and we have a... We have a, a work ethic and a kind of structure to the way we can make movies that uh, these companies that have billion dollar overheads just they can't do. and access to audience as well. Like you, you know, the, the route you champion with self distribution, direct access into the living rooms of people going. I'm looking for stuff to watch and a personal edge. Like Disney is a mega corporation and it it feels anything but personal. Uh, like but. But indie filmmakers, people get behind, they can get behind their, like you said, a niche will get behind the provider of that content. So yeah, really exciting time, actually. I mean, obviously it's filled with difficulties and pain and tragedy for many, many people. But um, I think as creatives, we should also be trying to spin it and, and figure out how, how we can make something good out of it, really. And provide for the people that need it. You know, people seek, in times like this, we're all watching movies, we're all reading books, listening to music. We need, we need art and we need escapism and we need hope. And it's moments like this where you're kind of sitting, all the kids sitting at high school being told, you know, what good are the arts? Why should you bother studying art? Why should you, why put, you know, put all that stuff away and go and get a real job. Now, when all the people with real jobs 
can't go out to work and they're spending their time consuming art. It's giving them hope, it's giving them optimism and, and it's, it's giving them something to do with their, you know, with this time. So it's, it's, it might sound a bit pretentious to kind of say, you know, filmmaking is a service industry um, because we're all sort of in it for our own passions. But in the end, you know, Xandra and I, it's Friday night. We've done a hard week's work. We've loved this podcast. We're going to go and have some dinner, probably have a beer, and we're going to watch a movie, you know. <laughs> so we all turn to it in, in, in our time of need. Yeah, you you earned that beer. I love it, guys. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you, you mentioned, like, in turbulent times like these, some empires are crumbling, some are, are you know, are being built up. And frankly, I would put money on your empire growing oh. in, the, in the future, gentlemen. Oh, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. We'll yeah. see. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah right. So is there anything you want to leave people with? Um, just any any advice that we, we haven't covered in this in this behemoth interview? Um, just anything <laughs> you, you want to share? Um, I think... I guess a couple of things. I think if you are on the topic of distribution, um, I think we've kind of covered it, but there are, there's no real right route. Uh, there are many options and actually you just, as long as you're clear on what your goals are and what you want out of it, then I think you will make the right decision and you have to kind of trust yourself uh, as you move forwards and say, you know what, that was the right decision for the moment and this is the right decision moving forwards. And yeah. I also think it's a cliche again, but if you're sitting on that movie idea that you wanted to make for ages and you're waiting for your Red Epic or your Alexa or that, some budget to kind of come along or whatever, like consider just going for it and doing it because it's we've been there, it's painful to, to know that you're capable of making a movie and that no one will trust you. So sometimes it takes you to just pick up that that camera and go and shoot it and prove them all wrong, basically. <laughs> well, on that on that note with the distribution, you talk about the camera. Uh, one thing I will say is in all of the distribution conversations we had, not once were we asked what we'd shot on or what resolution Cosmos was in. Not once. Nobody, nobody cared. Um, and still, actually, Gravitas have not asked what we shot our film on no and we, and we're just had, not bothered we've had people who looked at cosmos and thought it was shot on alexa and stuff so it ultimately that you know that's a whole different topic but i was just going to say like if you're waiting for that camera because you think a distributor won't pick up your project because it's not shot in 4k or it's not shot on a industry brand leader then our experience of that is that's not the case so you know look at the camera that you might have on your shelf that you don't think is you know, you've been told, quite frankly, isn't good enough. Um, and yeah, and my my piece of advice that I would have brought on to Xander's is is just just do follow your heart and do what is right for you. You know, don't try and second guess what other people want. Don't try and follow the crowd. Don't try and be cool. Um, there were many times when Xander and I were like, well, you know, paranormal activity and horror. You know, Blair Witch. It's popular, like. The industry loves it, but it's just not who we are. And we skirted the idea and then we went, we've just got to be true to ourselves. And it's a long old slog, it's a long road and there'll be dark days. And I can't imagine what it must be look like, must feel like to look at the timeline 
and really not dig and love the movie that you're making because it's just not you but you're doing it because you think it's the right thing to do you've got to look at that timeline and that movie has got to be so such a burning passion and you know it's worth making and you know it's good you love it it's got to be that to drag you through the this crazy journey that we all put ourselves on I love that. I think that's my favorite recurring theme in this conversation is there there's so many paths through this world. There's no one right way, but there's a lot of prof- or there's a lot of pressure to conform to do things mm. the quote unquote right way or traditional way of doing things, but there are no rules and we all have to we all have to make our own way based on what we really want and what our values are. And yeah, it's okay to to choose something different. Like it's okay not to build a business around your films doing DIY distribution. I have to remind Absolutely. myself of that. Um, I love it guys. Absolutely. So the where, system, uh, the system kind of wants to remove that uniqueness. The system thrives by conforming everybody and going, mm-hmm. you know, basically the Hollywood system, although I, 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 part, I absolutely adore it because to me it's like the magic of movies and it's the heritage of cinema and it's everything romantic about what I love, you know? It's this romantic idea of what the movies are. It also, the system works for them. You know, the distribution system, it works in their favour. It doesn't work in our favour. It wants us to conform and it wants us to make what they want because that's what works for them. But actually... Yeah we need to be what we are and we need to be like unique to us and all these filmmakers out there in this world who have colorful beautiful human stories of unique perspectives that's what the world needs the world doesn't need us all to be crushed into a cookie cutter and make the same movie you know over and and over again and it's not only what the world needs but it's what people want like i Mm -hmm. i i don't know i i think a lot of people are are waking up to the fact that we we have more content than ever before, and so much of it is is highly polished and slick, but it's empty. It's there's 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 nothing there that that feeds the soul, and we're in such a position to be able to deliver that. And even if we don't have the production value of of a Netflix or anything that's in Hollywood, like we can still deliver something that's so much more meaningful to the right group of people. And like you said, it, it's a service business. If you if you approach this from like I'm going to give people something that is truly worth their time and money and it's not just 90 minutes of empty entertainment like you're going to be rewarded because you committed to that path like i i very firmly believe that and you guys did and it's it's just awesome to see thank you thank you i mean i genuinely agree with that too i have this philosophy that like and i'm i consider myself part of this uh, bracket but i believe people think they know what they want from movies Mm-hmm. but they don't really know like when we when i go to the movies and i watch sort of I, for example i was really look really looking forward to going and watching top gun because i love top gun i i grew up with it it's one of my favorite movies and i've you know you've got this trailer and there's all these fighter jets and you're like yeah i can't wait for this adrenaline ride but really what i want is i want a human story really i want emotional nourishment mm. and if we give people that it it that's what people want from movies. We want to connect with each other and yeah. connect in this crazy world. And so there's really no limit. You know, you don't need $100 million. To, you need $100 million if you want to blow up cities and have UFOs floating over the world and stuff. But if you just want to tell a human story about people, you don't need, you don't need 
that yeah. much money to do that you know and, and people truly wanted it. it reminds me of the old uh the great old henry i think it's henry ford quote where he's like if i asked people what they wanted they would have told me to build a better horse or build a better yeah, carriage yeah. or something wow, like that that's but great. like but like that's, that's a great quote at, but that's that's what it is like people people are so hungry even if they don't necessarily know it for those deeper human stories especially niche stories that help them connect with their their communities and their interests and their passions and it Absolutely. can it can be nourishment for the soul in ways that that you know just generic generic blow shit up storytelling never never can be so I totally agree love it so uh where can people go online to find you guys to watch cosmos to read all of the I, like you guys have a website where you you post stuff so where, yeah. where can people stay up to date uh they can find us on all the social media platforms um twitter we are at cosmos movie instagram at cosmos underscore movie and if you just search for us on facebook cosmos movie 2019 or something along those lines will pop up we endeavor to answer every single message or email that we get um, we're all about building a community. So if you have questions about the film or the process, or you just want to say, hey, please do. And we have a website, which is uh, cosmosmovieofficial.com. And on there, you can read the whole story of how we made the movie. You can find out where to watch it. There's the script and the soundtrack and all sorts. So yeah, please genuinely reach out. Like if you're interested or slightly, you had your interest peaked by this movie, just get in touch. You don't even have to watch it. We're just interested in building a network of people. Oh, yeah, I mean, I will literally, uh, if you are a filmmaker out there and you want to know about more about our distribution experience, then just get in touch because we'll, we'll let you know. We'll be frank and we'll tell you the, the ups and downs of it and try to share as much as we can. Yeah. And speaking of which, like the, the, the craft side of how you made Cosmos is also fascinating. And you guys wrote a, a kick-ass piece for, I think it was like Filmmaking Lifestyle a while back and just another one for No Film School, like maybe a month ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah. search... And I'll, I actually, as the podcaster guy, like I can put them in the show notes or on the blog or whatever. And like, oh, great. it's like you guys, you guys take like share, like transparently sharing the process to a new level. And it, it's, um, it's great to watch because you, you can see the community responding. You can see you guys, like you, you actually interact with everybody who comments and, and in a thoughtful way. And it's, um, it just makes you guys stand out compared to the other people who are trying to like, you know, game the system and get a little bit of attention. Like it's just apparent at every level that you give a shit and that you care about this community <laughs> and that you want to serve. Um, we we like genuinely do. And, yeah. and I mean, to us, like we're still those, that three-year-old and that five-year-old who made a movie in their bedroom and fell in love with it. And now we've made a, a feature film and people are watching it and want to talk to us. Like to us, that's a thrill. You know, people actually want to talk to us. People want a cap from our movie or they want, you know, they, they want a poster or they just want to say, I really enjoyed it. Or they want to ask about how we shot it. Like that's my man, that's success. Like it's, it's incredible. Like it's just so fun. So yeah, we, we're very passionate about it and we're very open. Thank you so much for listening. For the links and resources mentioned in this interview, as well as the full archive of Filmmaker Freedom episodes, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com. And while you're there, feel free to browse around the Filmmaker Freedom website and check out some of the other rad content, including the weekly newsletter. 
Every Sunday morning, I send out a variety of the most useful, inspiring, thought-provoking stories I've come across that week, as well as some other cool stuff. It'll help you build your skills, master your psychology, and keep up with this ever-changing business. So if you're ready for an email that you'll actually look forward to each week, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com slash newsletter. Also, if the ideas in this show resonate with you, you're a great candidate for Freedom Fighters, which is my private community just for entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. It's totally free to join, but there is an application process to get in. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with a group of like-minded entrepreneurial filmmakers who will push you to succeed and help you grow, just go to filmfreedomshow.com slash community. And lastly, I'd just like to give one more shout out to my friends over at Music Vine for sponsoring this show. The groovy intro and outro music came straight from their library, of course, and there is loads more where that came from. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. Once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next episode of Filmmaker Freedom. Peace. Peace.